Insight into instruction, combining and cultivating conversations between instructors and students. Hey, welcome to Triple I Insight into Instruction. My name is Jamie. I'm Annabelle. And I'm Fabulous, but you can call me Thomas. We never expected this to become a thing, and yet here we are. So excited to be back for season two, episode one. At the end of season one, we talked about the Lily Conference in Asheville, North Carolina. That has since changed, and we had to miss out on that location and are instead going to San Diego, California in January 2023. No complaints here, though, but we will be reflecting on that next semester. This semester, fall 2022, we are taking the last of our classes in our program, and next semester, we will be taking the lead fully immersed in student teaching five days a week. Once we hit spring 2022, we will start utilizing this platform mainly to reflect on our experiences using a list of questions provided by Dr. Jessica Masterson and utilizing data collected within our individual classroom. From them, we hope to utilize said data to complete a case study and potentially a publication, but that is to be seen. This episode is based around our teenager interviews regarding a reading interest inventory assigned to our Teach Learn 322 Reading and Writing 4 through 8th course this semester. Tweenagers, for the sake of this assignment, is in reference to 10 to 14 year olds. This is an interesting age band that's often misunderstood and underrepresented within education programs. They're this funky in-between of our upper elementary and middle school. They're no longer little kids, but are not yet developmentally at high school or young adult level. This is also a time period where lots of changes occur in a student life, and typically, teachers must adjust their strategies to get more student buy-in. Today, we will be exploring the lives of a few teenagers in our communities, as well as diving a bit deeper into literacy with this great band. For the sake of time, we'll be giving a small breakdown of our individual experiences and then discuss some overarching themes we discussed when comparing interviews. So for myself and Annabelle, we both did not have a lot of um, teenagers we could pull resources from to be able to interview them. So our professor, Deanna Duncan, held a Zoom inside of our class with five individual teenagers aging from 11 to 14. She facilitated that in a way that we all sat down in front of them and she would ask them individual questions, and then each one, one by one, would answer that question going down the line. A lot of these students were her old students or students that were in her classes prior or other faculty that she's worked with in the past that had a teenager child. It was really interesting to see how these students engaged with us over Zoom and also how they engaged with one another because they were from different schools yet were having so many overlapping experiences, which I thought was really interesting to see those as well as the few differences that we saw. Mm -hmm. So the majority of my students I interviewed were in upper elementary around 9, 10 years of age, um, along with one of the students that were actually in the same Zoom meeting as Thomas and Annabelle. So that one was 14, eighth grade. When starting our interviews, we started out more relaxed in order to build up to the more academic questions. So we asked about what they did in their free time, they had siblings, types of movies or shows or things that were their favorites. So for you both, what did you notice as far as like similarities, differences in the interests of the students that you were interviewing? What I noticed is that most of the students were really busy. They all had extracurricular something that involved with school, whether it be sports, fencing, volleyball, band, some type of musical instrument. They were all busy. And we had one student in particular that worked a lot with his father outside and likes to work with his hands. And we had another student who likes to watch a lot of TV and play video games which was very interesting because they all played a musical instrument. Mm -hmm. Either they played a musical instrument like trombone, cello, or they sung with their voice, which is very surprising because I did not anticipate that at all. Neither did I. I know that most middle schools require you to do some sort of art throughout your time there, but I didn't expect all of them to be interested in a performing art for sure. I also noticed 
you mentioned fencing. I hadn't ever heard of middle schoolers doing fencing and that being like a main hobby for them. So it was really cool to see how our community or our area might have those opportunities for our students. It was also interesting to see a few of our kids talked about how they'd like to play with their siblings. And a lot of middle schoolers that I've interacted with would not have been as open about the fact that they enjoyed spending time with their siblings. So that was really fun to see too. Um, so with my students, like I said, they are ranging between nine and 10, although I did have the 14 year old mm -hmm. as well. Every single one of them said video games, mm. video games, TV, a couple of them, I think only two said during their spare time, they liked to do anything outside. One was hoverboarding and the other one was playing basketball. But other than that, it was watching YouTube, playing video games, watching TV. From there, we moved on to their family information. So what were some things that your students talked about when it came to their families? A lot of our students, the, our teenagers, talked about living in bigger families. A lot of them had multiple members, siblings, parents. But we had one in particular that was very interesting. They moved from Puerto Rico and their grandmother still lives in Puerto Rico. And then that they are trying to figure out how they can spend more time with their grandmother that lives in Puerto Rico. But they go every summer to Puerto Rico, even though one stated, you know, we want to keep going to Puerto Rico, but we want to travel other places too. I kind of saw that too. That was something I noted is there's this value for family that I saw that like I kind of mentioned previously, I hadn't quite expected from this age band. Part of me almost wonders if these kids growing up around COVID at the time that they did made them recognize their loved ones a little bit more in comparison to when I was in middle school. A lot of us were, especially by adults, were kind of off put by adults or annoyed by adults or felt misunderstood by them. And this group of kids in particular seemed to really appreciate and value the amount of time that they could spend with adult family members. There was also one student who talked about how they loved spending time with their younger sibling who was on an IEP, I believe, and mm -hmm. kind of that sibling dynamic of getting to care for somebody and actually really loving and embracing that, which was great to see because I feel like that's a dynamic that I also see more spoken about in a deficit than an asset mindset. This was an interesting section for me. I ended up asking the question, who do you live with? Because I was following more closely to the reading inventory like sheet mm -hmm. that we provided. And so that wasn't specifically on the questionnaire. But I did know that a lot of students didn't live with their parents or with a mom and dad dynamic. And the next question was actually like, are your parents from a different country? Which one? What language do they speak? So I ended up asking that question and that brought up, for the most part, it was just my sister, my dog, my brothers, the the answers that you would expect. And it didn't really go past there. But I did have one student that it brought up a lot of aces for. And this student said, I live with my mom and dad, but they're not my mom and dad because my dad's in jail and my mom's a bad mom because she lives in an apartment. So that brought up some questions for me where I said, well, it doesn't necessarily make someone a bad parent because they live in an apartment. And so she started mentioning things that were like, I ended up actually speaking to my teacher about that and this student is in counseling already and is dealing with a lot of these family things. But it was interesting that they were so open and candid in a way that I didn't expect because this student sometimes is internalizes a lot of things, which is not surprising when you have an ace, an ace with your father in jail and not being around your mom, but the like still having contact with them. So I found this one really interesting. They continued to talk to me until there were students around and then shut down and said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. So I just, I've just moved on, but I really didn't expect someone to come out and give me as much information from just a basic questionnaire, especially so early on in the year. So this was a really important thing and is the reason that we're going actually to be doing this interview with all of the students in the classroom. We can 
completed these interviews for our fourth through eighth literacy class, and as such, our interviews included a bit of a focus on reading, writing, and comprehension within a teenager setting. I found this area particularly intriguing because my love for reading really took off and blossomed in middle school, and as we spent more time with comprehension and critical thinking while reading texts, I got to really submerse myself in that in comparison to elementary where there was more of a focus on reading acquisition and grammar. I felt like middle school, we got a chance to really deep dive a bit. And so I was curious to see what our current generation of middle schoolers had to say and what they were experiencing. So for the class that I am currently student teaching in, I have, 
I'm pretty sure that every single one of those students enjoys the book Dogman. Um, but being a fourth grade class, my mentor teacher is trying to push them away from Dogman and go into other graphic novels or similar types of books. So right now, they're not allowed to read a certain, like all. They have to move around and do different, read different genres, right? In order to have them be like exposed to it. Yeah, try out different things. Mm -hmm. So now all of the students, including all of the ones that I ended up interviewing from there, are reading Amulet. Um, the Amulet series, Wings of Fire, a few of them, Zeta the Space Girl. Uh, but it's really nice to see them do do something new. Mm -hmm. And that has gotten all of them into fantasy. So now whenever I was asking, it was, I'm into graphic novels, I'm into fantasy. Um, and not many, to be honest, were liking history, nonfiction. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a couple that liked history and nonfiction. Um, the other one was, there was one student who loved almost everything and the one that they stated that they liked them they said that i love that was historical interesting um and this student is really into art they are they do basketball they would like to meet michael jordan they would like to be an nba player and then love history and fantasy it's amazing i know i thought it was really cool um the other ones you know pretty much it was they were pretty similar. Fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. Uh, books and series. That one's huge. Yeah. Um, the student who has aces said, I do not like to read. I hate reading. If I had to read, they have read Dogman. But if I had to read, it would be an art book. So this student is really, really interested in art, uh, sports, but like swimming and ballet as sports, so dance. So very, very artistic. Um, so when they're required to read or write, they usually like to use the restroom, but we've been letting them write in their journal and then illustrate. So now this person is allowed to illustrate once they're done with their three to five sentences, they are now writing and reading more. So I just thought that was really cool. Thanks. Another part that I thought was kind of interesting to dive into, and we've already expanded on it a little bit, but was their reading journey. I know in the interview that Thomas and I saw, there was a student in particular that was talked about the audiobooks, but about how that kind of acted as a nice bridge when they were younger in order to learn not how to learn, but how how to approach books and how to start that kind of consumption of stories. And audiobooks kind of helped garner a love for it earlier on rather than a struggle, which makes me kind of wonder about your student, Jamie, and if maybe alternatives to just reading on paper might be helpful for them. They we have actually started reading a book or two to them a day. So the teacher will go out and read just to that student where they can see the rest of the class during quiet day. Nice. So now there is an audible mm -hmm. reading where that was exactly her thought. Maybe they don't want to read themselves, but if I read to them, will that will that enhance their interest in books? Right. Because their word recognition won't necessarily grow from that. But their verbal vocabulary might grow and they can still gain lots when it comes to the understanding of a story and plot and those elements of ELA for sure. Yeah, and the interest in storytelling in a different way than watching TV, because this mm -hmm. this one definitely said, the only thing that I'd like to do is watch TV. If I get grounded, I I steal my tablet <laughs> and hide and read or and hide and watch YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, and that's where it's 
you bring up a great point. Books are very similar to TV shows once you have like the connection to reading. It can provide very similar entertainment. And the final section on reading perspectives that we wanted to look at was how classes are being taught, what these kids talked about they were experiencing in their classrooms around ELA. Were they spending a lot of time doing sustained silent reading or were they doing phonics? What, what were our educators giving them time to do in class? So for the one that we both um, listened to the students, a lot of our students um, didn't get a lot of time to actually read. Um, they were either um they either had a group um they're reading one book um to the whole class um but they didn't really get their choice and we learned a lot through Deanna that um Deanna Duncan and Deanna Day well um that students need choice small groups maybe kind of like a buddy group which we did have one that said there is a buddy group they get uh, reading by choice and they get to have to read a book by the end of the month and they kind of like talk about it to each other and and like have like a little small book study or why well, can't remember literature or book club like a little book club between the two people but a lot of them didn't really get to do it it was a lot of like correcting grammar or um worksheets worksheets or other stuff that like that it wasn't any specific books for them to choose from they didn't get really that student choice. So the ones who said that they didn't, they liked to read, but they didn't. And I'm wondering if that's because they didn't have the choice. Mm -hmm. And if they don't get the choice to read books that they like, then are they actually going to continue reading? Because we don't want to get that um, read aside that um, Deanna Day talked about by us, or us future teachers or us teachers constantly picking books out that they must read because there is this wonderful curriculum that we want to teach them versus giving them choice and letting them say, hey, these are the seven books that I chose from. Mm -hmm. um, I need you to read. Please choose one of them and then get in a small group and then we can, you can um, write, you can write something, you can draw something, you can do something unique telling the story of your book or something of the sort. Definitely. And to build on that, because they focused a lot on the worksheets concept of it and it made me curious about why why we were focusing so much on the critical lens of reading and writing and I understand that technicalities are important but if we are spending most of the time like correcting sentences or looking at sentence structure for one I would imagine that's going to be an area where some of our underserved students or students with higher needs might struggle more for one and for two this is another area where they're having to pay attention to the rules and the specifics. And I'm a math person, don't get me wrong, but they spend plenty of time in middle school looking up the specifics and the technicalities in math. Having the time to kind of open their mind up to the other side and more creative experiences in ELA is what I think really sparks joy for a lot of these students. So to see it in such a technician's lens really surprised me. One something that they talked about, especially in our last class last week, was when do we, because ELA also not only is reading, but it's also writing, it's the writing process. And I know they spend a lot of time correcting other people's work because of the deficit that we're having right now of um, our students aren't up to grade level with writing, correcting. So they're correcting worksheets of like find the commas that are not misplaced or the hyphens or capitalizations versus writing the synthesizing their own work they're correcting others work mm -hmm. and they're not taking the time to say hey let's do the fun part of this let's read and then we could write something about what we took away with um from our the book that we wanted to read so then you're not only reading and doing something that you really want to do by your choice but you're taking you're synthesizing it into a paper or it could may not even have to be a paper. It could be a trifold book report, but at least you're putting you're putting words on something that you have to type out. You have to put it grammatically there. And then you are not only doing it alone, you're doing it with someone else. So you can have kind of that correction together. I feel like worksheets as 
they are useful because I've seen in middle school that they have like they do one they do like a warm-up which is great mm -hmm. but doing constant worksheets lends nothing to synthesizing at all well it, it helps it's like level two when synthesizing is level four right and they need to be able to be at synthesizing level by the time they're in teenagers so by the time that they are teenagers in high school they don't have to worry about synthesizing so much they are then taking they are then looking at it from a um, analytical they're doing analysis on it then synthesizing it they need to be able to move past that point but also having quiet read reading time you're seeing that on paper you're seeing these commas you're seeing how grammatically these books are written mm -hmm. you're obtaining that information i mean yeah it may not feel like you're learning from reading because you're reading a story but you're seeing all of this i learned words from that i learned like uh, context of new words mm -hmm. from reading mm -hmm. um and if you don't have that reading helps with writing and i mean definitely. and books have to go through an immense publication to be able to get to where it is in front of a student yes oh, you'll yeah. find you'll find errors and we find errors in our textbooks all the time but that could even be a game that they can do but there's a huge editing process yes, yes. you know it's not like one and done. Here you go. Here's my book. I wrote it. Now it's I just going. colored the picture. Yeah. No. Sent to press. Right. Um, I had something else I want to say to what you said, but I can't remember what it was. I don't know. To start us off, I remember we had a few questions about reading at home, as well as what genres they were interested in. What did you guys catch about that bit? A lot of our students that we interviewed with Deanna, um, they, a lot of them were like, I really don't like reading, but when they had to read, or at least one of them reading the first one or 14 year old, they said they didn't really like reading, but if they had to, it'd be fantasy or medieval or history that focused around World War II. We had a set of twins, and the twins, they like to read. They just don't do it. They didn't really give any specific on, like, if they had to choose, if they were choosing a book or anything. Just like, we like it. We just don't. We like reading. We just don't really do it. Or the 11-year-old, they like to read and does it a lot. Likes to read a lot about ghosts. And then our last 12-year-old loves to read but doesn't read traditionally, reads a lot of audiobooks because they read so much in school and get so much reading through other things that they just like to sit back and listen to books. Um, and the last two books that they read was 1984 and We Are Liars. Um, and 1984, I did that as a play and it was really cool, but I've never heard of We Were Liars before. So I almost, almost had the reverse of you on the on those perspectives on the books. I know 1984 was a play and was also a book. I never read it. My friends who did read it in high school. So I totally flagged that book when I heard that we had such a young student reading it. That's awesome for their comprehension level to be at a point where they could read that book or listen to it auditorily. But We Were Liars has actually been a huge trending book that I've seen in a lot of young adult novels right now. And my sister actually checked it out. And that was really interesting to see. I liked the focus on audiobooks. That's something I think that's grown in popularity and in validity over the past few years, because when I was in middle school, audiobooks weren't seen as reading or getting or that you could count that towards your literacy or literature in that way or that it didn't hold the same value as visual reading which is really interesting when we look at how much time is spent on comprehension specifically yes, because... comprehension is not reading right well, it is reading but it's not like if you are trying to read a book and you're trying to see if you're getting all the words correct mm -hmm. in your reading, yes, that's a different story. Right. But if you're listening to something for comprehension, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's read to you, it doesn't matter if you're reading it yourself, you're still getting the story to you and you're retelling the story. Yeah. And that's for comprehension. And in the, I believe it was in our spring semester, we got to look into reading records a bit. And one of the main issues we saw with that, especially with our upper graders, 
was even if their word identification was there, mm -hmm. their comprehension was not. Yep. So in my opinion... Their retelling of the story was not that great. Yeah. So if we can't have somebody consuming quite a bit of audiobooks and getting their comprehension that way, why not? So I'm excited to see that being more common within the middle schools for sure. Lastly, we honed in on the perspective of their school experience. We kind of touched this a little bit in the last section, but we wanted to know what their English language arts program looked like in their classes and what feedback they can give us to help better teach tweenagers when we are out in the field. So we kind of already touched on this one, so I'll go ahead and move on to it, move on to the next one. We asked questions about their thoughts in their English language arts program at their respective school. And since we talked about what their classes are being taught, I kind of want to move on to the perspective of how they felt about it. Mm -hmm. How do they feel about their English class at their school? Man, it was interesting to say the least. They dove right into what they felt their teachers were doing right versus what their teachers might have needed to do differently. And also how middle schoolers are in general. They really laid it out there for us in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. I know that middle schoolers are raw, and that's something I love about the grade band for sure. But to hear them say, we want more control, mm. was something I never expected to hear. They said they wanted more control. They said that they wanted, they wanted teachers to, this kind of goes into our last question, so we'll just lump it all together as aspiring teachers, what they want from us too. They want us to have control of the classroom, but also have fun. Don't yell at them, but also students, teenagers, act in a fool. We need to have control. There need to be consequences for actions, either good or bad. And if we're saying we're gonna do something, we need to do it. Follow through. If you're not following through and you're just sending them to the is that the resource officer or some person security. that security security came often to the uh, to the class and uh, or to to the students would have to go or something of the sort. They want structure. They want mm -hmm. they want us not necessarily to control them, but also give them that foundation that the schedule that they have to follow, but in a way that's fun and exciting for them because they still want to learn. They just don't want to be spoon-fed it, nor do they want us to say, do it yourself. Right. Or it's a free-for-all. It's a free-for-all, yes. It's that so. middle ground. And one girl even talked about how she comes home with headaches often because of the noise. It's way too loud. And man, did that bring me back to one of my high school classes. We all, like, I ended the day with Spanish my sophomore year, and it was a brand new teacher, great Spanish instructor, but had never worked with high schoolers before, had never worked with like children, had primarily worked with teaching adult Spanish, right? Mm. So the classroom management portion wasn't there and it would get so loud that we lost a lot of the great knowledge that we could have gotten from this teacher just because of the environment. So it was interesting to see that at a middle school level because I didn't see that freedom in middle school. I mostly saw middle school as being much more controlled and a lot less chaotic. So it's interesting to see the. It's trend. a little different from when I was in middle school, which is a little bit a little bit longer. Kind of <laughs> different region. No, I was here. I was here in I'm Vancouver. Oh, okay. But no, you're in California. Yeah. Um, we had free reign like we went from being in one class all day long mm -hmm. to having six periods or right. five periods and we had to be trusted to go from each period to each period and a lot of it was fun ish it was okay it was a lot more projects it was a lot more teacher talking taking notes mm -hmm. getting all the tools we needed to be a high school student but one thing that I really surprised me about the students in their experience is that we asked them, what's the best thing that you like being a teenager? Mm -hmm. And each one of them says, we really don't like being teenagers. I know. That was so sad. We, they have all the expectation mm -hmm. of a high schooler. And none of the reward. And none of the trust that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And then every time they go out to public or everyone, they're always like, oh my gosh, it's those kids that are going to cause trouble. Mm -hmm. 
And what kind of view is that? Yeah, there are students who do things that they should not be doing. And there are always, and that goes for every age group, all the way to, a, I've seen full, gra- full grown adults mm-hmm. doing things they really should not be doing. Right, right. But these students are so young. And if they're already being treated like they're going to do something wrong, there is a study around that that says if you be- if you believe that someone's going to do something wrong, they're and going keep to keep telling them that they're going to do something wrong. They're eventually going to live up to that expectation right. you have of them. Self fulfilling prophecy. Um, well, what do you remember finding joy in about being a teenager? For me, I found joy by being a t- teenager. I got to watch my siblings. I also got. <laughs> I won't say find joy, but that's what I got to do. Um, but we also got to do like dances and stuff. That was a discovery middle school when this happened. And they had monthly, they would let us come in and it was after hours. They would bus us home, but they basically set up different centers around the school. There was dancing, there was games. That's cool. There, and then we were just allowed to go free reign. And that busing it. part is huge. And they bust us so because of for um to make sure that we got home because mm-hmm. it, was, we, it was a Title I school. Yeah. Did either of you have school plays where as soon as you were a middle schooler, you were allowed to be in the school plays? My they school did have a drama club, but we were, I was a part of it. We didn't. I was part of the choir. <clears throat> so my elementary school and my middle school were all connected. It was just the, the middle school was just a little bit, we called it the upper graders area. <laughs> and so it was still on the same campus. It was just tucked away in a corner, basically which that's very telling. (laughs) Right. Um, But as soon as we hit middle school, we were allowed to go in and be in the school play. We were already allowed to do things like orchestra and chorus and things like that. But this was something that even the kids that thought they were super cool, they were like, yes, I get to be in the school play because I get out of certain classes and things like Mm -hmm. that. But then it ended up being that everyone was really like, really excited and really into it. That's awesome. So that was one thing that, like, keep your grades up. As long as your grades are up, you get to be in the school play. Yeah. One thing that we did in middle school is that you, a lot of the teachers actually did this, um, like, reflecting. We had, there was something we were working towards. And my teacher, I remember one teacher creating two different types of lessons. And if we listened the day before, we get to do the fun one. And if we did not listen no. the day before, we get to do the one that's required by the states. <laughs> so we either got to do the one that was required or we got to do the fun one. And a lot of times we did what we was expected of us, but then she kept her word. If yeah. we were acting a fool, we got to do the extremely mm-hmm. boring thing. And that, that did create its own little like that day felt like felt crazy for the teacher because we all were complaining and everything right but by the next time by the, the very like i think it was like two or three times that that happened to us mm-hmm. they were like we don't want this we're gonna right we are going to we're, we're gonna try to we're still um extrinsically motivated by rewards and stuff although right. i'm still that way and that's an adult Same. um but going for that reward mm-hmm. made us be like okay we want to do that fun thing we want to be able to choose our own book. We wanted to be able to choose our own science activity or our next science study. They gave us a lot of student voices to do act at advocacy. Yes, that word advocacy. So they gave it they gave it to us. And I think that's what's maybe missing in the students we interviewed. I think I don't feel like they got the choice or the voice. I think choice and voice, but with an agency. A- an agency but with accountability yes because they might be getting the choices they might be getting to choose what project they're going to do but if it's too loud for them to think why is that mattering with with choice like with great power comes great responsibility so and i'm constantly thinking about um what classroom management teachers are using Mm -hmm. mm-hmm you can't use the old methods that you used to do before no. when I was in school. You would just, you send them attention. Right. You would send them out of the classroom. They get suspended. Name on the board and three checks and yes. then get yeah. sent to the office. Yeah. Which was effective in certain ways because also you shaming. feared, it was shaming, but it was also you feared it. But then now we have teachers who are like, 
let's, I won't say teacher, or I, I, I'm not in those classrooms, I can't speak for them, but my assumption are the classrooms I have observed that are going astray or the students are going crazy. The teachers are being, I won't say too kind, but they're just letting it happen. Passive. They're passive about it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm just still going to teach over them being loud Mm -hmm. versus setting up those expectations and setting up scaffolding to make sure that they are, they have things in place. So when you have that, what, seven or eight step Mm -hmm. process that you're doing, you're going to follow that process. And if that involves them having to be removed from the classroom and go talking to the principal, then they need to go talk to the principal. And so much of that comes back to the rapport between mm-hmm. students and teachers. Absolutely. I remember having middle school teachers that I adored and would do lots of work for. There was teachers that I liked as people and we just, our class didn't necessarily go super productively. But then there was the teachers that you mentioned that like operate off of fear and even if we were productive in that class, in quotation marks, I don't, re- I didn't retain much from it. And that sounds weird that the amount that you liked teacher would encourage the amount that you actually retain. But I was so focused on doing things right that I wouldn't remember what I was doing the next day. So I had the upper elementary school kids and they said the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. They're like, don't have bad punishments, but do something to control the classroom. Mm-hmm. Like exactly the same thing that the teenagers are saying who are in, you know, much higher grades I and mean, they're four, four grades up mm-hmm. um, and the same issues are happening. And I'm guessing in between as well, the same things are happening. The kids want some sort of control in the classroom so that it's conducive to their learning. But really what I noticed with all of the ones that I heard was that they really just wanted human decency, like first and foremost, mm-hmm. like human decency. We want respect. to notice if we need help without us having to raise our hands. We want you to see that we're struggling. All of them were telling me, like, even if we don't ask for it, sometimes we want help. And I was like, that totally valid there was one student said that um they noticed that um they want teachers instead of just giving them assignment to go and work with the students more Mm -hmm. to go up to them even if they don't want they're not talking or anything go up at least check in be kind Mm -hmm. but set boundaries Mm -hmm. and like treat them as people they are teenagers they know everything but they don't know anything (laughs) but they all deserve to be cared for Mm -hmm. For yours, because I was listening to one specific student mm-hmm. during that, but did they talk about, because every single one of mine talked about wanting fun activities, like especially art in the curriculum, they all mentioned like, we want more art, we want more this, which is great because my mentor teacher is all about the art within the curriculum, but obviously they're saying before we didn't have this, we would like more of this. I think I didn't see that a ton. They said they wanted, a lot of them just said they wanted it to be less noisy so they can actually do the work. And they said they want it to be fun. Yeah. But so fun. Fun, but not noisy. Yeah. Got it. And I think part of that might be that in middle school, they do gain different classes. And with those different classes will usually come an elective of sorts, whether that be a performing art or another area that they get to spend time like learning a passion of theirs rather than just what they're being told. That was one of the things I loved about them. Also, they wanted to point out to us that they are going from classroom to classroom to classroom Mm -hmm. with only minutes in between. They get no time to talk. They get no time to socialize. It's just academia, academia, academia. And each teacher comes off extremely strong with just wanting to, no offense, shove curriculum down their throat. And they have been sitting in a desk and they like if they need to go to the bathroom, I like the middle school we were at, they had a three minute passing period. I think mine was around the same. To go to the bathroom to take care of water function take care of bodily, whatever you need, water, or even chat with a part another person. Mm-hmm. And like for us us uh college students, we at least get ten minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. And we get breaks in between. Like we get five to ten minutes. We don't give I never noticed in any of my middle school observations or in the classes that we give any breaks to them besides trans going from Mm -hmm. class to class. My thought with the breaks 
is it might help with the regaining of focus if you have an intentional, I need us to study or not study, but I need us to focus in on this real hard for 10 minutes and then we're going to take a break and we're going to do this Mm -hmm. and be more open about the structuring of your class in that way and yep. more intentional yeah they're missing out on social emotional so much in middle school if you don't let them talk like just let them talk yeah. we went from fifth grade where elementary everything is everything's social emotional to all right you're adults now bye <laughs> like, yeah but we don't give you any of the freedom to be do that either. right right it's just the expectation of how you act so when i was um in high school when i was in high school we had 15 minutes in between classes, not three minutes. Right. Well, but the ELA teacher. So where I was at, the ELA teacher, when they walked in, they had a mindful minute. So you put music and calmness, like waterfalls up on the screen and just say, take some breaths. Just be here. You can quietly talk to your partners if you want to, or you can be silent by yourself, but just take a minute and you put like an inspirational quote up. Mm -hmm. That class was the most silent class I've ever heard during the entire period. Even when they're having conversations, you know how when we have conversations, someone starts talking a little bit louder in order to be heard and then the next person, the next person, it builds. This class stayed at like a low hum. For the entire 45 minutes. And I went in multiple times just to see, because this wasn't the person that I was assigned to, but it was crazy that multiple times I was seeing some students that I was seeing in another class who were out of control, sitting quietly, doing their work, focused, asking for help. And there are so many great, we have so much technology at our disposal that we can give them visuals to help. If it's too noisy, there are a bunch of technology that can read that you're being too nosy versus you going shh the whole time. Or, or, <laughs> however, you can have it up there and be like, if we stay below this meter, X, Y, and Z happens. So, right. However. Decibels reader. Yeah. Thing. Or like I, I saw one that had like little emojis that stayed at the very bottom. But once it got too loud, the emojis were jumping around. And so we couldn't get the emojis to jump around. They started jumping around like, something happened here or something and this isn't to say that silence is equivalent to learning we we understand that there needs to be conversation at various levels but the screaming not screaming screaming, bouncing walls wrestling or yelling across the 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 other tables it's not necessary no not necessary yeah i just wanted to say something about just like the reading again sorry to loop back But the fact that teenagers are not reading for joy, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's really important to encourage that joy, not just the academia, Mm -hmm. um, because these students are still so young. Mm -hmm. They're so young. And that reading for entertainment is going to enhance the student's learning. And if you're enhancing the student learning and you're learning about the student and providing them the things that they that they're interested in in order for them to read, you're getting double out of that because then now you're teaching to the individual and now the individual is enjoying their life. One thing that I didn't necessarily talk about in this this episode that I kind of want to touch on mm-hmm. is that one thing that inspired me is most most about them is that they each had amazing aspirations. hundred percent. We had, I will go, I'll just tell you what they wanted to be. We asked them what they wanted to be. One, the, our 12 year old wanted to be a forensic scientist. We had an 11 year old who wants to be a professional athlete and he wants to be, he wants to play with the Seahawks. Another one wanted to be a surgeon and work for the heart mm-hmm. for the a cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, another one wanted to be a choir professor in college. That one was unique. I haven't heard that one before. In college, too. In I college. love that they spe- specified that. And then the our, the last one, the 14-year-old, wanted to be an electrician as his main job. And then on the side, he wanted to be a YouTuber. Right. Which, like, the financial awareness to right. those two in priority was really interesting to me, too. Yeah. Because I've seen my third graders, a lot of them, say they want to be YouTubers, right? But the... The groundedness that that student showed in his perspective really showed us how much 
these kids are aspiring towards the future. They want, they, and how hopeful they can be. They have aspirations. And I think that sometimes teachers can forget that, yes, they're kids, but they also have dreams and hopes. Yeah. And sometimes what we need to do is speak to those dreams mm-hmm. and hopes to reel them back into what we're trying to teach them because it does, especially for ELA, no matter what we do, we're all going to have to read. We're all going to have to read. We're all going to have to write. And no matter what you do, you're going to have to have these skills. So like um, looping it back to that aspiration, but also means knowing your students. And I know it's hard for middle school teachers to have hundreds of students coming in your class every day. If you take five weeks and learn them and know them, you can help change them or not change, but help teach them in a way that's profound. It's it's beyond profound. You can it benefits you, can do it. you too. Oh, it, it does. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But like you wonder, middle school teachers wonder why their students can be chaotic. Right. Are you connecting? It goes back to it being culturally linguistically responsive, building, bridging, and affirming who they are, and what they are, what they want to do with their lives, and who they are as an individual. And just to t- tack on at the very end, I mean, obviously, mine are younger that I interviewed. Two of them just want to be a YouTuber because that's the it's same. an aspiration. Right. <clears throat> one is very, very into sports, plays basketball, wants to be an NBA, right? Mm-hmm. They want to be in the NBA. The other one got a ton from books and loves dinosaurs. So they read informational books about dinosaurs. Favorite movie is Jurassic Park, the most recent one. Mm-hmm. And they want to, since they were two years old, um, but they have continued the interest. They want to be a paleontologist. Aww. So, and I was like, oh, after my own heart, I wanted to be a paleontologist <laughs> too. So books help enhance that that interest in who you're going to who you want to be and who you're going to become yeah and knowing your students you can actually cultivate a library that can actually speak to them Mm -hmm. and kind of help want them to read more and get gain those tools and necessity to become what they want to become and will all teenagers still be what they wanted will want to be in the future no no I wanted to be a juvenile delinquent lawyer. I did not become that, but I knew I wanted to work with kids and I am working with kids. So they do know kind of what they want to be. So why not just build off of it anyway? In closing, remember, teenagers exist in an interesting limbo, either at the tail end of elementary school or having just left. Elementary focuses heavily on social-emotional learning, aka SEL. Then, in just a summer, they're thrown into middle school where often SEL is overlooked, and the adults around them put them in a category where the expectation is that they no longer function as kids, but young adults. This is unfair and psychologically makes no sense. As teachers, we have a moral obligation to these children to provide them kindness and support while also allowing them student agency. There may be a fine line, but from this, it has solidified our knowledge that each student is an individual and that on the most basic level, all they want is human decency. Thank you so much for joining us again for a new and exciting season. I hope you keep some of these thoughts in mind the next time you interact with a teenager, inside or outside of the classroom. Thank you for coming along with us on this academic journey. Click that follow button so you can join us next time for more ins and outs of education, past, present, and future.